Hey, Michael. What? I've found an interesting green beverage here. It contains algae. Would you like some? Algae? I think you mean aloe. Nope, this one is algae. Here, oh. you, here you go. Glug, glug. Glug, glug, glug. Mm. Many chunks, doesn't it have? Those are so good. Mm-hmm. Where are you going with this? <laughs> Nowhere specific. But hey, we should probably tell our listeners about uh, the upcoming show and how many um, spoilers and po- potential ex- potential explicit language. Good gracious. Yeah. I don't think I swore that much in the, in this one. I don't think we did either. I don't remember. It was all such a blur. I may have a couple times when you got on my nerves a little bit. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, here, have a listen. <laughs> Italy and stuff. Tell me why. Ain't nothing <laughs> but a hot. The I'm gonna only time myself. that you're hey, saying you're about to... anything, everything is a metaphor. Then you're wrong. No. The, well, the big old shark. The... No, 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 no. Nope. Wow. That was some good stuff, Brian. I don't know about good. We, I don't. I'm sure I had fun talking about it. <laughs> you didn't sound like you were having fun. But enough with that. On with the actual show. Yeah, let's do it. theme song <laughs> I mean, it's better than what we have hello and welcome to the mostly movies podcast this is a podcast where we talk about tv shows video games and um algae oh it's been so long since i just totally spaced on this let's say algae algae okay was there algae in the movie let's say yes okay uh but mostly movies my name is michael and i'm brian and tonight's movie is the life aquatic with steve zisu and it is a 2004 American drama comedy film directed and written and co-produced by Wes Anderson. I forget. Are we still doing that bit or are we saving that for the actual plot summary? But so. before we get into any of oh, that. Shoot, you've done it to me. Let's you've done talk it to about, me again. Let's talk about some of the other things we've been doing in the world of movies and TV shows and video games. What have you been doing, Brian? Well... Actually, I do have a thing I can talk about this time because just yesterday I watched uh, a movie I borrowed a long time ago. Finally got around to it. Uh, Into the Woods? Yeah. It's, I guess, a musical? Mm-hmm. Based on the Stephen Sondheim live stage play. Yes, right? that. If uh, if you say so. And it was turned into a Disney movie. It was turned into a Disney movie. It's got Anna Kendrick. It's got... Um, I'm blanking on all the other names. Johnny Depp. James Corden. James Corden. That was Meryl, the one I was trying to think of. Meryl Streep. Uh, Chris Pine. Yep. I think those are the main ones. All of them. Can't I think remember. James Corden is just in every musical now. Is he really? That's the first one I've seen I mean, him he's in. He's in Cats, too. Oh, is he? oh, that's right. He is in Cats, isn't and he? And he's in Carpool Karaoke. I have no idea what... Oh, wait. Isn't that the show that he does? Yeah. I guess that's that a he, musical, that isn't it? They sing. I think he just likes to sing. What constitutes a musical? Something with songs in it. Anyway, I, mm, just tell me what you thought of Into the Woods. Uh, I, I, I didn't mind it, actually. I am not a musical fan, per se. I think I've talked about this before in the show. Uh, I mean, if we're, if I had to give it a rating real quick, I like bordering between three and four. Wow. I I might bring it down to a three just because, you know, singing kind of slows things down sometimes. This particular movie did didn't do that as much though. The singing actually was just lines, you know. So 
here's the thing, because you keep assuring all of us that I'm not a musical not fan. A musical fan. But then every musical I, I bring <laughs> up, I, I like. You give at least a three out of five. This is true. Yeah. See, I I feel like I might have just been introduced to musicals the wrong way, or the wrong musicals, or something that turned me off on the idea initially, and now it's just ingrained in my brain that this is who I am. I must hate musicals. Mm. Maybe I just never got to see the good ones before. Well, at least you aren't just saying that you hate the musicals because you believe that that is who you are. And you're actually like, well, this one wasn't that bad. I don't don't know. It was good. I I liked it. And I recommend it to you specifically, Michael, because I think you'd like it. I've been meaning to get around to watching that. Maybe if we're lucky, we can get around to it on the show because I would like to do it on the show. Okay. Yeah, I I would I think you would have a lot to say about it. You'll have to use your your choice when it comes up to pick that then. If I can, now that we're you back on to, the chaining. Yeah, work it in strategically. Uh, I on the other hand, I can't think of anything new that I've watched. I've been really busy. I haven't had any time to watch TV. You were telling me about your busy weekend. You yeah. Socialite, you. Mm. I don't know if that's the word for it. <laughs> You were a socialite uh, for a weekend. Like How about get, that? Yeah. Mostly just got drug along on random adventures. And you had a good time. I did. I did have a good time. It was fun and I'm exhausted. Uh, so That's how you know you've had a good adventure. Yeah. What I did do over these past couple weeks is I went and saw Knives Out for a third time. Again? Yeah. And it was fantastic as always. Oh, good. That's all I'll say. And I'll, I'll give one more endorsement for that movie and then I'll shut up about it. But as long as it's still playing, when you when you hear this, listener, go watch it before it wins all the Oscars. Oh, how, how long does the Oscars go for? Because I thought it was already going. Oh, the Oscars? Yeah. Um. Well, the Golden Globes, as oh, of this recording, maybe that's aired last of. weekend. The Oscar nominees get announced tomorrow morning. So by the time this is out, it will be old news. Mm, yeah, pretty much. But as of right now, we have no idea what they are and we have no way of knowing oh well the nominations yeah that's like firmly cements the time stamp of when this was <laughs> recorded <laughs> just just a bit okay do you have any final remarks before we start talking about the life aquatic nope none let's get to it okay perfect so uh the life aquatic is a 2004 American comedy drama film directed, co-written, produced by Wes Anderson. I think I said that already. Mm -hmm. Um, It is Anderson's fourth feature-length film and was released in the United States on December 25th. May I pause for a moment? Did you say this was a 2004 film? Yes. Sorry, continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was written by Anderson and Noah Baumbach and was filmed in and around Naples, Ponza, and the Italian Riviera. What do you think about that? Cool, I guess. Italy, Italy and stuff. Uh, getting into the box office, this movie had a budget of $50 million. Is that a lot? I never know. For a movie if... like this? Yeah, I would say that's a lot. <laughs> Maybe most of it went towards Bill Murray uh, and everyone else. I want to believe that Bill Murray did it for almost nothing because he is in all of Wes Anderson's movies. Is he really? Literally all of them. Oh, okay. Um, but how much do you think it grossed off of that $50 million budget? I don't remember this being something that people went to initially. So I'm going to guess it didn't make its money back 
40. Even then, you you kind of highballed it a little bit. It only oh, made really? $34.8 million. Um, but That's it, a shame. That um, is a shame. According to this, this kind of gets into the reviews a little bit, but we'll, we'll get more into that in a second. But it says the film was released with mixed reviews and was considered a box office flop. But since its release, it has garnered a cult following and is now viewed more positively by critics. Okay, speaking of the critics. I can't believe that the critics didn't love this movie when it first came out, well, first hold, of all. Hold hold your opinions for later, uh, man. Yeah, I don't want to give away my final review. Yeah, you did. But, but that also kind of, yeah, we'll get into it more. Yeah, we'll get into it. And speaking of the reviews, the critics, yes. the, the audience, what did they give it? Reception. Uh, so on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an approval rating of 56%. Based on 213 reviews. That's it? Yeah, I wow. know. With an average rating of 6.1 out of 10. The consensus reads, Much like the titular oceanographer, the life aquatic with Steve Zissou's overt irony may come off as smug and artificial, but for fans of Wes Anderson's unique brand of whimsy, it might be worth the dive. The film holds a 62 out of 100 weighted average on Metacritic, indicating generally favorable reviews. And so wait, I, I only like listened to half of what you just said. That's okay. As long as the listeners were listening, you you didn't really have to pay attention to that. Michael, bit. when you're sitting here, I'm the listener. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I zone out while you're talking, very likely so did the audience. <laughs> well, I'm not. Was it good or bad? It. Uh, what? Did they think it was good or bad? Uh, it said if you're a fan of of Wes Anderson, then you'll probably like it. But okay. If not, then you might not. <laughs> cool. Moving on uh, then. What's I, the next thing on our list? Well, I don't see any any audience response on uh That's okay. We know it's score. a cult classic, so we know that they liked it later at least. So we know that now it's considered a relatively good film. But as long as we're on the subject of uh, cinema score, it recently got its 25th movie ever. They got an F rating wow. on cinema score. Uh, new release movie uh, there was a remake of The Grudge never heard of it, it but like cool. a Japanese horror movie anyway got such poor reviews it got an F only the 25th movie ever to, to get that rating you Neat. can cut that bit out if you want nah, <laughs> I'm, that's actually relatively interesting because the scale I've never really understood that scale on CinemaScore because you tell me like A and B and there was one time when you told me that B was actually not that great but then later you were like oh no it's fine so i can't really tell where the scale is because we've never gotten like d or c in there mm -hmm. now all of a sudden f <laughs> so that's that's weird to me i guess i'm not sure what to make of that what's next on our list we are plowing through our bullet point our bullet points not bullet points oh my gosh <laughs> drink everyone uh next we have <gasps> uh... wait sorry michael yeah i forgot you I forgot what? I revamped the drinking rules. No, you can't do that. I did. No. I'm the editor. I can do this. <laughs> no, you don't get to write the drinking game. The sure drinking do. game has been set. No, nah, he gave us the, the first draft. I came up with draft two. Oh. Okay, <laughs> listeners at home, play by whatever drinking rules you want. You can play by Lee's drinking rules or you can play by Brian's drinking rules. Here's Brian's drinking rules. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll make a compromise here. I'll, I'll just say the rules, and if the audience agrees... That it's you know acceptable. The audience, meaning the, the one guy, one listener that, that that right, listens to Lee, it, and if you is find... the other guy that came up <laughs> yes. with the rules. Yes. 
Lee, if you find these rules acceptable, <laughs> let us know. All right, sorry. I, I know I've derailed us entirely here. No, go ahead. Okay, so drinking rules. I, I found... It's okay. So for one drink rules, uh, I left in every time we flub a word, because that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I also left in when we rate a movie three or higher. However, I've tweaked it so that we both have to rate it three or higher. Yeah. For yeah. somebody to take one drink? Yes. Stay with me. So then uh, another one is every time quotes Pirates of the Caribbean specifically. <laughs> All right. I can get behind that. Yeah, because that, that can happen a lot. I think I might change that one. I don't know. might just be when you quote other movies in general. Yeah, it'd be better if it's just whenever I quote any movie because I quote a lot of movies, not just specifically Pirates of the Caribbean. How about and that would be covered under the any movie. It would be. Uh, would you agree to any movie except for the one that we're reviewing? Because we'll have to quote it a lot during our yeah, yeah. talking. Yeah. Uh, the next one is every time Michael curses. That's a one drink. Yep. Uh, every time Michael disagrees with Brian. I left that one in. And every time Brian asks who a famous actor is and or is surprised that he does in fact know who that is after all. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like that one. That <laughs> happens surprisingly often. Yes. Now on to the two drink rules. So every time we get a Twitter mention in... In the mail segment. Anytime we get a Twitter mention. That's correct. That was already a rule. Oh, yeah. I left it in. Okay. Yeah. And then the second one is every time Michael says cinematography, I left that one in as well. Okay. Uh, every time Brian says cringy, left that one. What if you just, are you just going to go over all of them now? That, I'm, I'm going through everything two? that I left in plus mine or basically I left, I'm giving you the revised rules. So if you don't hear it, it's not okay. in here anymore. So this is another full set of rules correct that you can reference yes okay and then the next one is every time michael says to cut something out left that one in and anytime i have to warn michael about his phrasing oh i like that <laughs> and now on to three drink rules every time we receive mail physical or email yes uh a guest appearance which counts if we call someone and they actually pick up yeah okay uh, anytime Brian curses, that's a three drink. Mm -hmm. And uh, anytime we both give a movie a one star. Then you take three drinks. Then you take three drinks. But we both have to do it. I almost think we should flip flop that. So the more stars it gets rated, the more drinks you have to take. So a five star would be five drinks. Because that only happens once per episode. I guess so. All right. You've convinced me. You just take a drink for however many stars it gets rated. But how about you only have to take a drink if we agree. Okay. I we, like that. We give it the same rating. All right. I, I, I accept this. And the last one I have here on three drink rules is when Michael or Brian, I guess, try to sing. Oh, okay. I do sing quite a bit. And that's three drinks? That's a three drink. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to need those three drinks. Yep. For All me. Right. <laughs> All right, Lee. If you accept these rules, let me know. All right. Yeah. That was pretty good, actually. And as you were going over that... I was going over some of the background on the production of it. Oh, that's right, because our next segment is the history. But there isn't really much interesting in here. It says that uh, characters were inspired by such American novels as The Great Gatsby. What? And The Magnificent Ambersons, and the plot has been compared to Moby Dick. I, but, I mean, I kind of see the Moby Dick part, at least. Yeah, but that is probably the most interesting thing that surprises to, me, actually. To say about this. 
You, uh, you would think there would be so much more behind something like this. Anyways, moving on. The, History the, with this film, us. Personally? Yes. You think you may have seen this before? Yes. So I did kind of like watch through all of Anderson's movies during a period of my life, I guess. Uh, there were a couple that I missed. I still haven't seen the Darjeeling Limited, I don't think. Never even heard of that one. And I thought that I had not seen this one all the way through. But like as I was watching it, I was remembering, oh yeah, I've seen this before. I've seen this before too. I've seen this whole friggin' movie. <laughs> um, but I don't think that I got it. Like it was before I really got into watching this style of art house movies. I was watching like movies because I've always loved watching movies. But now you're paying attention. Yes. Now I'm watching closely, as uh Michael Caine would say from the prestige. Someday I'll I'll get to that level, Michael. Everybody and then we'll... drink. Oh shoot, you're right. All right, hold on. <sighs> Just pretend this is a vodka cranberry or something. It is a vodka cranberry. There's at least one of those ingredients in here. <laughs> it's vodka. <laughs> it's just pure vodka. <laughs> uh, sorry. What were you saying? I don't remember. <laughs> Oh, what's your history with it? Oh, I'd never seen this before. And the only thing I even knew about this at all was the ending credit scene was supposedly very similar to Buckaroo Banzai. Across the Eighth Dimension. That's, yeah. That's correct. And that isn't even in here under interesting uh, references to pop culture or anything. That, that does surprise me a little bit. All mm-hmm. right, moving on to the next segment then. Ah, yes. The uh, actor's performance. Should we start with, uh, with the man himself? Bill Murray? Steve Zissou. Yes, yes, we should. How do you think he did? Oh, fantastic as always. Amazing. I, uh, <laughs> one of the most entertaining. Uh, how do I phrase this? He's the most entertaining. Uh, entertainer. Mm, he's the most entertaining entertainer. Ah, uh, sure. Well, I don't know. He just has like a coolness about him, but just like. I don't know. I think his his shtick, because Bill Murray does kind of have a shtick. Yeah, it's like a monotone acting, but Mm -hmm. you can still tell where all the emotion is. And it fits into this movie so well. This was the perfect character for Bill Murray to play. Oh, yes. Perfect indeed. It was amazing. And I, I guess I could say that pretty much everybody in this movie is amazing. But we should all give them their, uh, their due and talk about them specifically how about jeff goldblum what do you think goldblum didn't have a huge part in this oh but he was good in the few moments he had he was as good as a as a goldblum could be which is which pretty is great pretty great yeah. yeah uh how about owen wilson surprisingly good i i was expecting more funnies out of him but he mm. almost he was the he was the straight man against all of the the zaniness that's going on in it but he also he had like he played it off really well because there's all of the emotion in it is super subtle. Very subtle. And it's clear that all of that Wes Anderson is just such a good director that he got all of these actors to know exactly what their characters are feeling without having to overact those emotions. That's a good way of putting that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Anyway, thumbs up for Owen Wilson. How about uh, how about an oh wow for Owen Wilson? Wow, wow, yeah. Owen Wilson, you you're great. Drink. <laughs> how about uh, what's his name? Willem Dafoe. Oh yes. How William dare Dafoe. I forget his name? How dare you, indeed? He played Klaus. He was right? surprisingly emotional in this movie. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think I've seen him that emotional, and I am reminded how short he is. I didn't even think about that until right now. But. I, I hope for some reason always thought of him as this towering man, but he's not. You know not. what else was surprisingly short were his shorts. <laughs> they, they were a bit. He was wearing very that short shorts. That was just shorts. the style of, yeah. I guess, the decade they were portraying. I, I know. I think it was because he was German, so it was supposed to be like a lederhosen type thing. Like oh. his son, because his son was wearing lederhosen. Also, his German accent is fantastic. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Who are we talking about? Willem Dafoe. His son was wearing? Yeah. His son with the later hosen on that gives... No. Oh, the, the little gives, kid? Yeah, that gives Bill Murray the... No, that's Jeff Goldblum's kid. That's not Jeff Goldblum's kid. It's not? No. He was wearing later hosen because he was German, and he was the German guy's son. Did I... I maybe I've mixed up these characters in my head for that brief scene in... I'm like 90% about... Like 90% sure about this. Anyway. Doesn't matter. Moving on. Uh, who else do we need to mention? Uh, Angelica Houston. She was Eleanor. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, good, I she, guess. She did really, really well um, for what she had to do. She had one scene in particular that we'll get to later that I'll bring up that she was really good in. Okay. Uh, how about Kate Blanchett? She was the re- the pregnant reporter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, good. I guess. <laughs> she had really, really, like, complex emotions in it, too, that she played she off. She did, yes. But exactly the right Played way. off in that very subtle yeah. manner. Everything about this was subtle, which oh, is why yeah. I'm not surprised that I didn't pick up on, like, the themes of this movie the first time around. Also, I was probably, like, 15 or something, and I just didn't give a crap. <laughs> Okay. Uh, who else? Was there I anyone else? I think that like there was at least one other. Is about it. Okay. Let's talk about the beginning of the movie. Oh boy, where does this movie start? Oh, that's right, in a theater. Yes, a very very classy theater. An Italian theater with like big a big mural on the on the wall behind the stage, and everyone was all dressed in tuxedos. Yes, and then some Italian guy comes out and does a bunch of intro, like, here is, here's the movie. That you, I don't know how to do an Italian accent. Is <laughs> Steve Zissou's new documentary. Yes. Right? I remember thinking when that first happened, I was like, okay, I'm completely unaware what I'm in for here, but my only reference point was Buckaroo Banzai. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, the ending is supposedly very similar, and I was like, okay, the movies must be relatively similar in, you know, the feel of it no <laughs> yeah the uh the first thought that i had was is this whole movie like oh, going a to be fake documentary and we're watching a movie of people watching a movie i did have that brief thought as well thankfully they do away with that pretty quickly at like minute five but the way that this was done was was really uh economical in uh in building up like letting everyone know what's going on because within this couple minutes you see this documentary that he's making it sets up the whole plot of them finding the jaguar shark and the revenge that bill murray wants to get and you just get the idea that he is a nature documentary filmmaker and it introduces the entire crew and their age and what they do on the ship and everything and it's really funny it's it is it's subtly hilarious. Yes. 
We're going to so, use the word subtle a lot in this. Yeah. Yeah, we are. A lot of it is really subtle, but then at the same time, also really over the top. I guess it makes those over the top moments even more hysterical. I suppose And I'm so. sure we'll mention some of those. Quite a few. All right, <laughs> Michael. I know there's a lot to this movie, but mm-hmm. I do have to ask, do you want to go through favorite scenes or do you want to go through this whole thing? I'd say we will. So I, I feel like up... we're going to go through the whole thing anyway, but. I don't think that we are because. No? Okay. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, but this movie works the best when you have an idea of what the theme is and then all of the scenes are not just randomness because if you're not paying attention all of these could seem just like inane things that are happening but if you know what the main theme of the movie is absolutely nothing is random and everything is is thought out with immense forethought does that make any sense? It does. I don't know if I agree with you yet. We'll see by the end of this review. So I'm wondering if we should start with what we picked up on as the theme of the movie. Because about 20 minutes in, I wrote down the theme of what I thought the theme of the movie was. And then all of my notes are kind of above that. So my last note is what the theme of the movie is. But I'm wondering if I should just give it a, like give it away up front and then I can point out scenes that uh, convey yeah, I, the point that I'm. That I see I got your predicament. Uh, if you do, I should probably take a crack at it first, so that you do not influence my thought process, because you mm-hmm. often do. Because uh, I mean, the easy way to phrase is, you know, it's just a man coming to terms with his life, essentially, and his accomplishments, and trying to figure out how to be a dad sort of that's true but like but on I a feel broader like, spectrum yeah I, like i was i was gonna say you probably picked up on a whole lot more and i i'm like okay what what could possibly be going through his head like i, I have guesses it's like <laughs> i don't know if a, i agree with them all obviously it's a character study on steve zisu yes. which is why it's the leaf the life aquatic with steve zisu but the things that he that it's exploring in his character can kind of be summed up in this one sentence. Okay, fine. Just, just go, just get it over with. And it is acceptance of things that you cannot control. That's a good one. That's okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. Fine. Fine. You win. You win. Cool. Are you happy? Okay. I'm glad that we're, that we're on the same page. I mean, and we are, don't... I don't. <sighs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, after this whole documentary screening, um, the first moment that really stood out to me that I was like, I need to write this down is uh, an old man that has like all of these posters. <laughs> oh, that's right. And he wants him to sign all of them real quick. Yeah. Like, can you sign this one, please? And he must be speaking Italian. He's like, yeah, you can, you can, he writes his name down and he's like, and this one? And then he writes, and, and this, this one? one? <laughs> How many of these do you have? <laughs> uh, yeah, the repetition in that was was really, really good. And I didn't really have any, I didn't have a theme, an idea of the theme in my head at that moment, but it's sort of building your getting inside the mind of, uh, of Bill Murray's character. And it's like, he doesn't have a lot of patience for people. Cause like after those, those three signatures and he's like, you know what? 
you can just forge the rest of them. All right, I I'm gonna I get out the rest. Now. I could have done that at home. <laughs> yeah, and then so as long as we're going in chronological order, um, well, let me let me real quick. I I had a note at that scene as well that gave mm-hmm. I, all I wrote down was that is giving me some grand. Budapest Hotel vibes. Well, it's Wes Anderson. All of his movies kind of have the same vibe. I suppose. That's. I his. mean, I guess I know that now. Yeah. So, yeah, looking back on it and knowing how it ends, a moment that stood out to me early on was when the kid with the later hosen on mm-hmm. gives him the seahorse oh, in the, the bag. The animated, like, crayon something fish or whatever yeah. he said. Because... Because that fish doesn't exist. What I'm picking up on them them getting to in that scene now, looking back on it, mm-hmm. is that Steve Zissou is this nature film documentary and creator, right? Mm-hmm. And so his job is to is to just capture nature as it is, right? It's supposed sure. to be reality, and yet. He is so into controlling things that he takes nature and he tries to bend it to his will, basically. So him holding the seahorse in the bag is sort of a visual metaphor of him taking nature and boxing it up into this little bag where he can control it. Uh... (laughs) And it kind of mirrors the scene at the end that we will get to. But looking back on it, that has a lot more meaning to me. Uh, well, okay, first of all, I don't know if I agree with you there. <laughs> Any time that it shows, like those little animated creatures, yeah, it has a deeper metaphorical meaning. I don't disagree. I don't know if I agree with the trying to control a bit in that particular moment, because he just got handed it to him. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just a visual. It's a visual metaphor, is what I'm saying. And that in like that party where he has no control over anything, like that one chick comes up to him and she's like, oh, I wanted to say hi to you. And he like goes to hug her or whatever. She's like, I said, I just wanted to say hi to you. I didn't want to touch you. And he's like, oh, okay. And then his wife comes in and this whole party, he has no control over his surroundings. And then he's handed this natural thing that's enclosed in this bag and he has total control over it and he it's the one thing that he likes in this moment am i selling it to you yet no in All fact right. in fact you've backpedaled we're on gonna me a move while. past it yeah then. i feel i in my mind this is one of those moments where it's like the artist used the color purple to try and relate to the audience it was a deep and emotional bond no that just like purple it's like <laughs> no the kid gave him a fish because he, he was it was a rare specimen. He thought he would like it. He just wanted to impress him. Maybe I'm reading too deeply into it. I think it. you are for that particular one. Oh, well, I may do that a few times. Yeah, I in think this you thing. might. All right, move on, move on. What What is the next scene you want to talk about? Uh, Well, let's go to Steve Zissou's Island. There's so many. Okay, there's so many moments actually before that. Like he meets his son, right? His supposed son. Mm-hmm. We still don't know. Dude, even now, my mind is just going out of control (laughs) because he, like, has that awkward moment with his son, and then there's, like, the silence, and he can't just sit there with the silence. He needs to take back control and get away from it. So he's like, can you excuse me for a minute? Don't move. Stay right there. And he just goes to the front of the boat and just starts smoking a cigarette 
on the on the bow of the ship and then it just goes right back to where he was before that's like another example of his having to control the situation that he seems to be out of control of anyway he finds out that owen wilson might be his son right yeah and so he invites him to kind of join his team and they go to uh his island and like one of the first things that he does when he goes to the island by the way at this point this is when i wrote down the note steve zisu just seems very unhappy well of course he's unhappy did you pick up on that uh, yeah i think by the fact that he was like i'm unhappy did he say that (laughs) (laughs) i think i don't know if he used those words but yeah, at that at this point, we've already seen him get like mocked by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when they're at the when the they're at bar, the restaurant, or yeah. is it a drinking, bar? No, it's I don't know. They're drinking wine, and uh, there's those people that are talking crap about him, right? Yeah, and then he just kind of like has that breakdown, and he's like crying in the street. And he takes off he, his little earring and yeah, throws it away because they were making fun of it. Yeah, yeah, so. Anyway, the, back to the island. Yeah, back to when the he island. shows up, then he, like... Uh, he does his little routine. Yeah, he grabs a, a fish, and he's just, like... he's He gr- goes up onto this ladder, and he's, like, holding it out. And then you see the, just this huge orca come up and, like, grab the the fish out of his hand. And the way that it was shot was just really funny to me. Did you think that part was funny? Oh, yeah. I heard you laughing. Yeah, it was great, because he... he the whole character of this guy is basically he barely reacts to things almost. Mm-hmm. But you can tell internally he's reacting to all of this. He's just very calm about it for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I like characters when they're like that. It's fun. It's a lot less like, <laughs> and you, a lot more like, all right, this, okay, let's just do this then. Holy crap. Yeah. But his emotions do he does start to show more and more emotion as the movie progresses right more outwardly sure yep. i mean in his tone of voice and whatnot you still get a ton of emotion he just doesn't act on it a lot yeah well because one of his character traits is that he keeps people at a distance i don't know about that he, he but doesn't sure. let anybody see his emotion and he won't let anybody get close to him his whole crew seemed pretty close. Ooh. How, should we just start talking about that? Sure. Why not? Why not? Let's get into it, Michael. Tell me about their crew and why you think I'm wrong. Okay. So he's not close to his crew. He just controls his crew. He makes them as close to him as he possibly can. That's why not only do they wear identical blue jumpsuits and red hats, but they all have identical pajamas as well. Did you notice that? Those are just uniforms. Yeah. But it's a visual... When you work at a place, you have a uniform. It's a visual metaphor for him making all of his employees fall in line with him because he's a control freak and self-centered, I don't know about a control freak. Oh, man. Now I'm thinking that we're not going to have the same reading of this no, movie at not, all. No, not at all. I yeah no I didn't okay. I did not pick up on any control freak bits. How b- are you serious? None. How about uh, Ned, his son? Right. Uh-huh. As soon as he meets him, he's like, "Well, why don't you take my name, Zisu? You can be." He's like, "Oh, so I'll be Ned Zisu," and he's like, 
Well, no, you can change the first name too, because if I would have named you, I would have named you Kingsley. And so then later on, he has a, he's talking with his son. Um, Ned's like polishing his shoes. And Ned asked him if he knew that he had existed. And he said, yeah, I read about it in the paper like five years ago or whatever. And Ned says, well, why didn't you contact me? And he says, because I hate fathers and I never wanted to be one. And then he leaves. But then a couple seconds later, he comes back and he's like, oh, by the way, your correspondence stock came in. Yeah, I thought that was more just a, I didn't want to be one. But now that you're here. And then he opens the stock and the name on the top of it. Oh, that's says, right. Says nightly Ned in parentheses, Zisu. Kingly. He literally changed his entire name and just put his actual given birth name in parentheses. Like, you're not you anymore. You are now mine. I took that as more of a, a guy who just really didn't know how to handle having a son. Well, obviously, he was just kind he of doesn't. freaking out a little bit. Because he doesn't want to have a son. Well, he didn't know. And now that this guy's he here. He just wants to have somebody. He's a very sad, lonely person who desperately wants a connection with somebody, and he has no idea how to do it. He only knows how to make people bend to his will and take ownership of them, which is exactly what he's doing to Ned. Oh, I don't know about this. Like, I, I don't 100% disagree with you, but on the other hand, I cannot agree with you either. Okay, Um, let's talk about some of the women in his life then. Okay, Because sure. we, we never see her, but there was this woman named Jacqueline or whatever that he had been involved with years prior. He right. named his uh, his submarine after her. And then after she left him, then he just like crossed out her name and he wrote Deep Search or whatever was yeah. the new name for the, the submarine. He also had that tattooed on his arm and then he had Jacqueline crossed out and it just said Deep Search <laughs> underneath it. Uh, move forward to Angela? No, what was her name? Eleanor. Eleanor, yes, that's it. Yeah, his current wife, mm -hmm. who just up and leaves him as well. And the night that she leaves, then they're out on the beach, and you see the crabs. He's like, oh, the sugar crabs are back. And she says, oh, yeah, they're mating. And he says, that's mating? And then it shows the two crabs, and one of them, the red one, there's a red one and a blue one. The red one rips the arm off of the blue one and then just walks away. And then immediately after, Eleanor is like, see ya, and walks away from him. Right. So he feels like these women that he's involved with are kind of like just taking what they want from him and then leaving. But ultimately, he is not opening himself up to them. And so they just kind of get fed up with it and leave. Uh, again, I don't know if I 100% agree with you there. Because she seemed like the distant one of the two, at least. Well, yeah, that's what happens to somebody when one person doesn't open up themselves, then they're going to remain distant, distant as well. It's a two-way street. But she seemed more cut off than he did. Like, she has a whole lot more control over him than he does of her. She has all the money. She's yeah. the brains behind the, the whole operation. Mm -hmm. She leaves. He's basically left high and dry he knows that and so 
I don't know where you think the control bit's coming from. Because he can't control her. Okay. So, what about it? <laughs> he doesn't... Of course she's going to leave. The only woman that would stay with him is somebody who he can control, and they want him to control her. I don't know if that's true either, because otherwise they wouldn't have stayed together so long. Him and his wife? Yeah, the Eleanor Because one. he does want her. He wants Eleanor, but he won't open himself up because he physically can't do it. And so she just ends up getting fed up and leaving him. You'd think that would have happened a long time ago, though, if he's such a control freak. Because if he can't control her, or oh, we're getting into all kinds of weird, like, <laughs> okay, if he can't control her, one would assume that this would have become a problem long ago because she mentions that they first got together or something when she was 35 or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Steve mentions that he's 50-odd something. Mm -hmm. So that's at least 20 years. 20 he, years? He didn't say he was 35 when they met, though. I guess that's true. But she looks like she's probably about the same age. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the scene, the Eleanor scene, where she's talking to the pregnant woman. The reporter. Right. This is way later into the movie. Yeah. But this, it also serves the the same uh, theme in okay. their relationship yep, yep, yep. where she says that she knows something about Steve that he doesn't even know. This is another very metaphorical thing that is probably even a stretch for me. So I don't know if you're going to buy this. Nope. I'm already on the, on the boat of not buying what you're selling. She says, Steve shoots blanks. Right, meaning so. he can't have children. Um, and I think it might have something to do with him spending half his life underwater. The metaphor behind that that I took from it was conceiving a child is something that is very intimate, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so by her saying Steve shoots blanks, she means that he has a problem with intimacy, and that being ruined by him spending half his life underwater, quote unquote, would be him separating himself from the rest of the world. He has a problem with intimacy because he's just spent so much of his life alienating himself from everybody. I'll agree with that la later half. I don't know about that first half, though, because that's more of a biological thing than it is a metaphorical thing, I would say. Dude, every every scene in this movie is metaphorical. I don't know if that's true. Let's talk about one of my favorite freaking moments in the entire movie. This is like near the end. They go wading through a, a swamp. Oh, okay. They're yeah, all yeah. in wetsuits. And they all come out and Bill Murray is just covered in swamp leeches. And he's like, ah, leeches. Everybody check yourself for leeches. And every it like pans to everyone else and they're completely clean. And he's like, What? I'm the only one that uh, that they got. <laughs> it's messed up. <laughs> um, that mm -hmm. is obviously a metaphor for Steve Zissou feeling sorry for himself and feeling like the only bad shit that happens to anybody happens to him. And it comes from a very self-centered place. He doesn't care about the problems of everybody else. He just sees all of the leeches on him and everybody else seemingly comes out clean. Okay, I'll buy that one. You you get one of three so far. 
dude, how can you buy that one and not realize that every scene in this movie is a metaphor? Because it's not? Let's talk about another one. Okay. Uh, Also, near the end here, they go into an old dilapidated building that was where he and his ex-wife spent their honeymoon. Mm -hmm. A metaphor. Old dilapidated building that was a metaphor for their love. I'll give you that one. Okay. Um, So... This is kind of like after he's he's had like a change of heart. He's starting to learn to accept things that he can't change because throughout the movie, then it sets up that these documentaries that he make are basically completely staged. Like that that one where they're they're making those or they, they cut a hole in the ice and they were they were diving into the water. Oh, and, and he's like, do you hear that? I think there's an animal around here and then he like goes down and he finds this super exotic animal that was clearly planted there right yeah that one okay so here at the end then he falls down a flight of stairs and he just like is sprawled out at the bottom of it and he asks the cameraman did you get that and he said yeah and he said good we'll use it um what is it exactly that he said oh yeah okay he said good we'll use it we'll give them reality this time so basically, he's come to acceptance that he can't control everything, and he's just willing to accept reality for the way that it is. But it goes even further, because okay. then he just kind of like settles in there on the floor, right? And he's like, come here, Ned. I want to I wanna talk to you for a second. And he does like the French girl pose. Yeah. And uh, early on in the movie, Ned wants to call him dad, and he says... No, you can't call me dad. That's not that's not the right thing for the movie. That how about like Stevesy? You can call me Stevesy. That that works better for the movie, right? So here he finally he comes to a compromise and he's like, I'm thinking maybe like Papa Steve or something like that, right? He has a little moment with his son and then as he's as he's still on the ground, he's mm-hmm. in his this uh humility pose kind of right right where he doesn't see himself as better he's looking up to his son and then his son reaches down and helps him up off of the ground okay which is a metaphor for him helping him up off of the ground (laughs) wow (laughs) such a metaphor that was one of the that was one of the deepest well probably the second deepest scene to me in the movie okay i can give you this one as well None of this is, is like, you're not starting to pick up on some of the other ones now, now that I, I'm, like, pointing them out? I am I am starting to, but I still think you're reading too much into at least some of these. So, okay, for specifically, say, the seahorse in the bag, and then there's the he's shooting blanks scene, and then there was one more. I know there was. How about, uh, well, now I'm not going to bring that one up because we kind of already covered that well which one because now now i'm now now we're just having this deep conversation on the beach as they were going to leave he was just sitting there like grilling up a crab and he was going to shoot him and the one guy said no no no, he's a friend and he's like he's like remind me we'll send him a cap and a speedo later meaning all of his friends have to conform to his no it's just what you do when they're no it's just extra merch they have you send that to fans He's not a fan. He said he's a friend. Right, but what else is he going to give him as thanks? 
That's what you do when when you're I'm shaking my head right now. Uh, yeah, you are, and I I think you've read far too much into all of this. Um, I didn't. You did, but you really did. You saw the color purple, and you thought there was war. <laughs> okay, I don't think you understand how art house films work. I I think I do a little bit because in maybe art not house as much films, as you do. The color purple does mean shit. Sure, it does, but it doesn't mean all of the shit. Yes, it does. No, it means a specific bit if it's used in Mm-mm. a specific way. Mm-mm. It is. Even color does actually play a part in this movie. It does. The blue crab that get its, gets its arm ripped off was a representation of Bill Murray because he's always freaking wearing blue. Sure, yeah. Oh, I agree. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about... Uh, the final moment between Bill Murray and his son. Okay, yeah. Because they go up in a helicopter and they have like one really, really authentic father-son moment where you're meant to believe, okay, this really is his son. Because uh, Ned told him, or yeah, Ned told Steve that his mother told him that that Steve knew about him since the day that he was born. Right, and he, and he asks just, him, is this true? Like, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, no, wait, that comes up before this, but you know, it doesn't matter. But then he like he pulls out the letter, the original letter that Ned had wrote to him. When he was like 11 and a half or something like that, yeah. Yeah, and he kept it for all of those years because deep, deep, deep down, he really did want a son, but he just couldn't come to terms with it. Yeah, and so he just held on to that letter as like the small part of him that there, is like somewhere out there. I have a son. There was a scene when he goes to find his ex-wife again in some mm-hmm. villa, and he specifically lays it out, doesn't he? Like his feelings on the matter, because she asks him, "How's your relationship going with him?" Mm-hmm. And he, I forget exactly what he says. Oh yeah, but I he pretty explicitly says. This is how I feel about it. Oh, yeah, he does. And I don't I don't have any notes written down about that. Which is a shame because it would have really helped for this point. Well, that's, that's up to you, Brian. If there's something that stands out to you, then you need to take a note on it. All of my notes just follow the story so I remember what freaking happened, not why it happened. Right. Well, You're the why. When I'm I the what. When I pick up on the why things happen, it helps me remember what happened. You know? Well, I have enough trouble trying to remember what happened this morning. I'm not, not going to so, chance that. Anyway, Ned um, had written a letter to him, and I don't remember everything that the letter said, but at the end, there was like a little postscript that said, like, P.S., do you ever wish that you could breathe underwater? And that is the line that I want to focus on. Okay. Because uh, I think that is the, the, the connection between Steve and his son. That was what kept him he was like this is my son because yeah i do wish that i could breathe underwater and they have the moment where he says sometimes i do wish that i or no ned even says it after he reads the letter he says sometimes i do still wish that i could breathe underwater and steve says me too ned and that's right before the helicopter crashes right and then ned dies i'm gonna let you dissect this brian the dying part no the breathing underwater part 
why would you let me do that? I didn't write any notes for it. I'm setting you, clearly you up. I'm setting you up for it like why would so you well right now to dissect a, this metaphor. Why would you set me up to dissect a part that you already dissected in your head and have all the notes for? Okay. I will just end up saying all the things that you don't have to say and then you will have to say it again. I don't have the metaphor actually written down. I just have the quote about breathing underwater well, you've already got something in your head you should yes. just say it okay well i feel like i'm talking a lot well you are because you have a lot more to say um so wishing that you could breathe underwater is a metaphor for not being able to accept something that you can't control physically humans can't breathe underwater both of them know that they can't breathe underwater but neither of them can like fully accept that they will never be able to breathe underwater. Basically, they'll never be able to accept that certain things they are unable to do and unable to control. And that's kind of like the key moment where you're like, okay, Ned, that's something that he got from his dad. I, I understand where you're coming from, not what I picked up at all. People wish for superpowers all the time, right? This is an art house movie, Brian. It's not just somebody wishing that they had a superpower. Sometimes it is, though, Michael. Not in this movie. Are you sure? Yes. How sure are you? Because I 110% really... 110% sure. Then you're wrong. No. <laughs> you you have to be, because... This is... Okay, let's just finish this movie. No, then. we can't. There was so much more to talk about, Yeah, Michael. there is. Like, there was something that I didn't understand the the entire time, why it was happening, and it was every time something shitty would happen to Steve Zissou, the the breaker would switch and the the power would go off in the ship, I didn't, and they would always have I, to rush to like try and fix it. Well, at the end of the movie, um, after all of this bad stuff has happened to Steve, then they finally found where the jaguar shark is. He can go and he can confront this thing that he desperately wanted to get revenge. For killing his best friend did we even bring that up <laughs> not the best friend part but yes yeah so his best friend was killed by this jaguar shark in the entire movie he's trying to kill it with dynamite because he can't accept that he can't change that his friend died so right you, you keep saying the words can't accept and then blank i don't i don't yeah. know if because the whole movie we've agreed on this is the the theme of the movie is acceptance of things that you can't control true but I th I so anyway, know. at the end, when they find where the jaguar shark is, they're about to disembark to go confront it, and the power goes off, and that's it immediately clicks in your mind. That's bad because the power went off. Every time something bad happens, the power goes off. But then, I didn't. Pick Bill up Murray, on that specifically. Steve comes back into the room. He just goes and he like hits the wall, and it just comes back on. And that's your like, that's your sign of reassurance where you're like but this is something that he can control you still with me no i've never been with you <laughs> so then they go down in the submarine and this amazing song like amazing song i can't even starts remember playing anything it's by it. the band uh i saw it here in the uh in the notes uh by sigaros they're from iceland I think. Okay. You should listen to the, some of their music. It's really good. In fact, all of the music in this movie is really good. Before I talk about the final scene, I just want to bring up that I love every moment 
where that uh that French guy is playing the French acoustic covers of like popular songs. Oh. I really I didn't like, even realize that's what he was doing. Yeah. I thought he was like, just singing for the heck of it. One of them that he played was Space Odyssey by David Bowie. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. I started singing along with it. Oh did, I didn't I didn't even hear you. <laughs> you must have been so in tune with him. Okay. So they go down uh to the bottom of the ocean and they see the red snapper that had showed up at the beginning of the movie right before the jaguar shark red snapper what at the very beginning of the movie then during their documentary film then they said oh we found a bunch of red snapper and they were filming all of it and then immediately after that that, then there was the shark attack so when they see the red snapper at the end that it implies the jaguar shark is near okay so anyway the jaguar shark kind of emerges from the darkness and they're all just staring at it in awe of this enormous thing and uh this area by the way reminds me a lot of the subnautica game i don't know if you played any of it uh no you should it would freak you out (laughs) um sorry did i interrupt your train of thought yeah i it's like i think it's like klaus after they see the shark then he's just like you want to blow it up? <laughs> He's like, no, we're out of dynamite anyway. And then they all just kind of sit there and watch this shark swim around for a bit. And Steve, he starts to get really emotional. And he says, I wonder if it still remembers me. Like, I, I, I'm not even sure that I know if I can put into words what that means to me personally but I felt it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you here because I know what you mean because I had to make a note here, but I didn't know what to write, so I just have the time code, mm-hmm. and then it's just blank because I didn't know what to say there. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. There's something that he's clearly feeling, but there's nothing, well, nothing I, that you can say to I portray think, that. I think I know what the shark represents, Okay, go ahead. The shark, to me, represents, like, all of life's struggles, or even maybe just all of life in general, like, its struggles included in it. And they're all just kind of, like, staring at it in awe, and one of them says, like, it's beautiful, isn't it? And they all agree that it's beautiful. And then when Bill Murray says, I wonder if it still remembers me, if it means like, do all of the struggles that we go through in life have an inherent meaning? Like, does it all kind of work together for you lost like, me a little the bit poetry there. of life? See, that's what I mean. Like, I can't quite articulate it. Yeah. But it is incredible it's an incredible moment and you can feel it even if you can't articulate it into words and that is the best moment in the movie sure which i I don't know if the shark was supposed to mean quite that much though you're just gonna say that it's just a shark no i I, i'm gonna agree with you on some level that it was supposed to represent something Mm -hmm. i don't know if it was supposed to be that quite a broad of a spectrum though Oh, another line Oi, that somebody make, said. Let me make my point this time. You yeah. cut me off three times I'm now. Sorry. I'm going to do it. I'm sorry. The, well, sh- the big old shark. The... No, 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 no. Nope. Let me talk. Okay. 
uh-uh. <laughs> I'm going to assert myself. The only time that you're hey, anything is just to negate everything <sighs> that I say. And you're saying, no, that's not true. That's just, it's not a metaphor. It's just what it is. That's like the only thing that you've been saying. And then I was about to say okay, yeah. that the shark was supposed to be more representative of his career and his success, or rather the this big thing that everyone thinks doesn't exist anymore or maybe doesn't exist at all. They're all questioning whether or not it's even there and what it is, and maybe it's just a tiger shark or something like that. And, you know, it's something normal. But no, it's this big thing that shouldn't exist. And by all accounts, it's new. It's different. It's what his show was supposed to be all about. Mm -hmm. And he's found it. And it's neat. And it's supposed to be this moment of, that's my career. Is this the big finale that I'm going to have? Or am I just done forever with no nothing to show for it? See, that, see, that I, I is, can think too. No, that is a good reading of it. I like it because, yeah, he was supposedly this big time documentary filmmaker, yeah. which is why his he lawyer says something it. about being like the last time they made a good documentary was like 11 years ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then everybody eventually stopped believing in him. And so, yeah, the shark could be represent representative of that. That's just a lot. Like, to say the shark represents his career seems less meaningful to me. Well, not necessarily, because then his moment of saying, uh, I wonder if it still remembers me, maybe that's like his success. And I wonder if that life is still something that I can still have. But that would mean that the whole thing that Bill Murray took out of this, his whole character arc was not an emotional growth from being a narcissist to someone who is able to accept the things that he can't control in life and be able to let people into his life. And it would be more about just his revival as a filmmaker. Uh, well, but they do kind of go hand in hand because the reason that his films stopped getting uh, received as, as well was because he started to try and control the outcome of them. He didn't go with the flow and make a documentary the way it's supposed to be made and capture reality as it is. He tried to control reality. And then stage it, essentially. Yeah. So it could go hand in hand that okay. way. Okay. You know what? You're you're starting to win me over because just a little. in a way, his entire film career... career Has been even, just controlling the outcomes. Yeah, even goes into the deeper metaphor of him controlling things in his own life okay okay awesome you'd hold on you know you you, no, this you got is me awesome up to like 60 percent now because we we like even though we were on vastly different pages throughout this entire thing at the end we can decide <laughs> that both of our readings go hand in hand well and how amazing is that I'll, I'll give you three fingers of my hand how about that <laughs> I don't want you to give me three hold, fingers. Hold three fingers of my hand, Michael. No, I'm hold not, them. No. Hold, I can't reach very far and get away from the microphone. No, I'm just going to take This is an emotional moment, Michael. You have to hold my hands with three fingers. No. You give up. No. You're, you're going to leave me hanging? I'll touch you. There. That's all you get. All right, fine. <laughs> okay. That's basically the end of the movie, right? I guess. I don't know if that really made any chronological sense, but yes. 
Yes, it is. Tiger oh. Shark is found. Uh, they make the documentary. They show it at the theater again. Mm-hmm. And then they have the walkout of the theater scene. And then the... and there was one more David Bowie song there for was the road. One, yeah. And that's it. That is it. Wow. Good gracious. We had quite the talk. I don't know if anyone will actually want to listen to that. But <laughs> there was going to be, there is so many drinks in that one. Actually, I... do people have to drink if you disagree with me? Because I think the only rule was they have to drink if I disagree with you. Let me check my note. Hold on. But I think it could go either way. I. Uh, every time Michael disagrees with Brian is what I wrote. But I don't know. Could work either way. It's fine. Anyway, let's do our final just, reviews. Just take a whole, for listeners, just take an extra can, chug it, and you're probably caught up. Yeah. <laughs> just in time for our final reviews where you might have to take more drinks oh boy uh okay if we both agree yes the scoring okay don't just score it tell me why tell tell you why tell me why ain't nothing <laughs> but a hot okay oh. <laughs> everybody drink again <laughs> hold on okay ah uh, vodka does not taste good <laughs> Why do I have it? Anyway, um, four out of five for me because I enjoyed that movie. Just straight up enjoyed it. You almost ruined it for me during this review, but wow. we, we, we came to a compromise at the end and I'm able to keep all my original thoughts, I think. Hilarious, uh, subtle, pacing was great as far as I'm concerned, acting was good, and... I am a little confused at the level of CGI for a 2004 film. It it was but Wes it Anderson. Worked. Yeah, it worked great. It it wasn't supposed to look realistic. It was supposed to be like whimsical. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was it was a fun time. I do recommend this to pretty much anyone. Actually, I would say. Good. Yeah. Um, what you what would you give it, Michael? This uh is a five out of five movie if i've I ever a, seen I one i had a problem i had a, yeah, I had a problem I had a, <laughs> a drink okay <laughs> i had a feeling that you would give it a five out of five uh not only was it hilarious like you said there were like so many moments that just had me busting up laughing um it was subtle in its emotional development of the uh of all of the characters uh i felt like really really in tune with bill murray's character and i feel like this movie was able to do in two hours what bojack horseman has done in freaking six seasons (laughs) that's how well told of a character movie this is um actually now i think about it this movie has almost every kind of movie within it just about because it's got the romance it's got the the action i guess and it's got the emotional downtrodden bit and it's got documentary it's got Mm -hmm. it's it's all kinds of things it's a freaking art house film where everything is a metaphor again i don't agree with you that everything is a metaphor so i would say not only is this probably my new favorite wes anderson movie prior to this it was the grand budapest hotel which is still hilarious (laughs) obviously i love that movie 
but it might be one of my favorite movies ever. I had a feeling that you were thinking about that, yeah, because you you had that look. You you yeah. defended this movie quite a lot. I think the last thing or the the first thing that I said after the movie was over was my reaction to that movie was one hundred percent different than I expected from it same and, for me yeah you concurred but so, for a much different reason because i thought i was going to get into a super weird thing like um like buckaroo bonsai across the oh dimension. right uh not what we got at all <laughs> but i'm glad uh yeah so i have to i need to find this movie like so i can buy it oh okay i was gonna say no, i need it for my collection okay <laughs> obviously and uh i might need to rework my my best of all-time list really to work it in there wow because oh wow man, it's fantastic uh so yeah that's it for me what is our next uh segment our next segment is the mail segment michael that's right do we have mail uh let me check the gmail really quick i doubt we have anything from there um uh yeah no we don't have anything from gmail by the way you can write us at mostlymoviespod at gmail.com or on Twitter at mostly movies pod, and on Twitter, we mm-hmm. do have a mention. Oh, okay. I don't know Enjoy. if I even want to bring it up. <laughs> That's the best kind, Michael. What is it? It's another list from Lee. Uh oh. Of things he wants us to review. We oh. haven't even gotten around to starting on the first list, Lee. <laughs> so uh, this also has a theme, much like the first one, With which the was Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler movies. movies. This is. Eli Roth films. Eli Roth. Uh, I know the name. Very famous horror director. Oh. He, uh, he kind of, um, he creates movies that people refer to as torture porn. I see. So there's a list of movies here that he wants us to review. I see. Including um, Cabin Fever. Okay. House with a Clock in Its Walls, which I did not know was directed by Eli Roth. In fact, when I first read through this list, I was like, all of these kind of have a theme, except for this one, which is a kid's movie with Jack Black in it. Which one? House with a Clock in Its Walls. Oh, really? Yeah, it came out last year. Jack Black, he was like a wizard. What? Yeah. I I think I remember hearing about it, but I didn't know anything about it. Anyway, and then uh, The Green Inferno, Hostel Part 1, and Hostel Part 2. I don't want to watch any of those yeah, I, at I mean, all. Um, <laughs> if we have any say in the matter, I would like to actively refuse this list. <laughs> and then the games list also has a uh, theme. I, I, I actually am a little bit curious about the clock in his walls one, because you said that's supposed to be a kid's movie? Yeah. It's based on like a children's book. I'd be curious about that one. I'll show we... you the trailer after we're done recording. Okay. All right. You can maybe have that one, Lee. Yeah. And the games he wants us to review are Mario Kart. Oh, okay. On Rush. What's that? It's kind of like a demolition derby style thing. It's almost like a team deathmatch, like Call of Duty style, except for you're on a track where you're also racing. So you're trying to take out the other cars, and it's so less Mario about <laughs> finishing the race. There, There's no finish line for the race. You're just trying to get as many kills and as few deaths as possible. So the battle mode in Mario Kart. Kind of, but it has a completely different feel than that. Okay. Um, it's also, it was one of the free games on PlayStation Plus a few months ago, so I have it. Oh, good. Uh, Gran Turismo, Project Gotham Racing, which I've never Project heard of before, Gotham I don't Racing? think. Was it a Batman uh, thing? Horizon Chase Turbo, which was another free one on PS Plus, and Forza Motorsport, which 
I guess we could play because I do have an Xbox. I think if we were to do an episode, we should we should do like a versus uh, Forza Motorsport versus uh, Gran Turismo. Sure. Because that's the Xbox exclusive versus the PlayStation exclusive that'd racing be, game. That'd be a good idea, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I would say, sure, we'll do those video games as soon as we get done with the other ones that you, yeah. <laughs> that you wanted us to do. Lee, um, you either might get a really condensed version of like, yeah, we like this one. No, we don't like this one. Or you're going to get like maybe one out of each list that you keep sending in. <laughs> this is a lot of stuff. We only do one episode every two weeks. Yeah, and these are for bonus episodes. Let us catch <laughs> up at least. Okay. Having um, said that, thank you for writing in. Yes, thank you. We appreciate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. So with that out of the way, it's time to pick our next movie going off of The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Indeed. And we can finally get back to our normal chaining method, and I will go get a hat. There's so a lot of good actors in this, in too. Or actors. Knock it over. All the things. Very nice hat. Yes, thank you. Okay, are you ready to write down some names? Get in there. Get myself back in my seat. Okay. All right, so obviously we have to write down uh, Bill Friggin' Murray. Bill Friggin' Murray. (laughs) Uh, Willem Dafoe. William Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Everybody drink. That's a reference to How I Met Your Mother. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was about to ask. Owen Wilson. We got to throw Owen Wilson in there, right? Oh, yeah. Let's do Kate Blanchett. And yes, that does include Lord of the Rings movies. Ooh. Although but we've both we've seen those seen them already. so many times. Should we? Well, okay. Never mind. I was that... about to say, should we get rid of the rule where we both seen it? We don't have to watch it. But it makes it more interesting if we haven't both seen it it does and that's mainly why i put that in there but it's mm. a recommendation not a rule i guess yeah. is what we should say and more like guidelines yes, than actual like gui- rules everybody drink. everybody drink. hold on <laughs> i don't have much left pirates of the caribbean yeah that's the last of my vodka you have to many, was that four we need one more one two three four yep we need one more um who else was in this Oh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Holy crap, yeah. I was, I was about in... to ask if you were going to say him. <laughs> Have we ever done a movie with Jeff Goldblum? Come to think of it, I don't know. I don't think we have. How do people keep track of all the movies that they've done for their own podcast? <laughs> <laughs> they, they have better memories or they re-listen or they have a manager. Could There's be, lots of options. Maybe they actually do research before they start recording. That too. We didn't even talk about the part where... Uh, Jeff Goldblum gets shot in the chest. Oh my gosh! Okay, let's quickly talk about that. Quickly <laughs> is, talk about this that. This is obviously in the bloopers section at the end. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe. But oh, that's that is the funniest scene. <laughs> and immediately after that, with the dynamite, where they're like, "Grab the dynamite," and they go in, and then just like the whole place blows up, <laughs> was fantastic. Um. Also, I gotta say, Jeff Goldblum. I know this was like 2004, so it was like going on. 15 years ago Mm -hmm. he was looking like he was in really good shape in that i'm a pepper shirt oh yeah he looked pretty jacked like now watching his show on disney plus he looks kind of lanky well to be fair he didn't have to bulk up for anything for a show that's true but yeah that that scene (laughs) 
He's just sitting there playing cards. Playing poker. Yeah. He's like, if you come to rescue me, uh, I, I fold. fold. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> Comedic timing was perfect. Amazing. Okay. Names are in a hat, Michael. Okay. Shaking them around a little bit. Oh, I get to pull it out? Yep. <laughs> Phrasing. Drink. <laughs> get my other... Your other drink. Get my other drink. Hmm. Um, I have it's got a chunks. piece of paper. It is in my hand. Would you like to explain what you just said? It's got chunks. My drink has chunks. That's true. Is it a tasty chunk? It's a tasty chunk. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the, the results are in. Oh, that's right. The results. I have to do a drum roll. Here and we... the, the winner is Bill Frickin' Murray. Yes! Yeah! I was really hoping. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, who gets to pick the movie with Bill Murray in it, though? You do. I do? Yeah. Remember? Well, this is going to be so hard. Uh, Because I have to pick one you haven't seen before. I've obviously seen all of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. Actually, there's probably a couple that I haven't seen. But do I subject you to, like, a classic Bill Murray movie? Or one of his, like, newer ones? Should Um, we do another Wes Anderson? Is there another one that he's in that I haven't seen? I told you he's in all of them. Well, okay. That I haven't seen, though. Uh, Isle of Dogs. Haven't seen that. He was in... Okay, actually, hold on. Let me go to Wes Anderson because he's in all of them, like I said. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Haven't seen that. The Royal Tannenbaums. Haven't seen that. Moonrise Kingdom. Nope. Grand Budapest Hotel, obviously. I did see that one, yeah. Was the St. Vincent one any good? Never saw it. Oh, okay. Maybe that would be a good one to do. Oh, Rushmore. Never heard of that one. That one is, that's another one that is supposedly really, really good that the first time I watched, I was like completely tuned out of. He was in Get Smart? Bill Murray? Yeah. He was Agent 13, the one in the tree. Well, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen Get Smart? Okay. (laughs) Everyone That's not a fantastic movie. Uh, It's probably the best TV show to movie adaptation your face every time when you have that moment of you haven't seen this movie (laughs) it's still priceless to me i don't know if i should pick that one because that would be like a throwaway bill murray choice because he's a cameo in it what's lost in translation that was uh it's it's definitely a drama he was in charlie's angels Yes, he was Bosley, dude. I haven't seen it. That movie is not good, but it has a scene that just I love <laughs> where uh, Bill Murray and Tim Curry, you know who Tim Curry is, right? I know the name. I'd probably recognize him if I saw the face. The butler from Clue. I don't think I've seen Clue all the way through. I think I saw like the first half of it. Anyway, two <laughs> That's amazing... the other face I really like. <laughs> Like, two of my favorite actors in Bill Murray and Tim Curry have a scene where they're in those giant uh, sumo wrestler suits. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they just have, like, a showdown in those. Okay. It's fantastic. The Dead Don't Die is one that I've been wanting to watch. That one just came out in 2019. Never heard of it. It's got Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tom Waits, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover. It's a zombie movie. 
Oh. But it's a it's like a comedy. Uh, top genres, it's under our comedy, fantasy, and horror. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to how horrific it is. But yeah. based on the trailer, it looks a lot more funny, like Zombieland. Okay. But more of a dry sense of humor. I think that would be a good one to go off of because it has a pretty all-star cast in it. Bill Murray, Adam Driver, I've already said all of them. Okay. So. I mean, sure. I guess I would agree to this. Nice. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Tune in next time, listeners, to listen to us ramble on about the dead, the dead don't die with zombies in it. Yes. I'm don't, excited. don't like zombies that much. All right. So I guess it's time for the sign-off then. It is time for the sign-off, Michael. Yeah. What would you like to leave the listeners with? Uh, well, I would like to reiterate that they can write to us at mostlymoviespod at gmail.com and on Twitter at mostlymoviespod. Uh, if you are listening on iTunes, give us a five-star review because that helps uh, with their algorithm, I guess. It helps us get more notoriety so more people can listen to the show. It's uh, okay if you don't know. We understand. <laughs> I would like... I would check iTunes reviews so we could read them and give give thanks to people who rate us, but but they don't leave any. No, I don't have iTunes because I oh I'm on Android. If we ever do, I guess we should make that part of the thing that we can check our iTunes ratings. But the, the final thing that I would like to uh, to leave our listeners with is just thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, it's been a full year now, huh? And I guess we actually have a couple listeners now. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty uh, regular listeners, I think. Hopefully, they're still listening. Yeah, I mean, there's Lee, at least. Yeah, and, there's, and Derby. And Derby, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, here's to 2020, getting two more listeners. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> that's, the, that's the goal. All right. So, yeah, thank you for listening, both of you. And uh, we will <laughs> see, you, see you next time for uh, The Dead Don't Die. Yay! And good night, everybody. Is that from Animaniacs? It is. Okay. I'm glad that you picked up on that. <laughs> I hate it. I hate this bit. <laughs>
I didn't say it with the munchies. You have to say something existential. I did. You did? I said this movie was a mirror Oh, that's yourself. right, you did. You just take whatever you need out of it. Much like this bag of munchies. <laughs> See, I personally really like the Doritos and the Cheetos. Those are the best parts. Not a sponsor. No, by the not way. even a little. I don't think they'd ever sponsor such a shit show as this. You ever think we'll break 10 viewers <laughs> or listeners? If we work hard enough. I don't and know don't if that'll matter. I think it's just a matter of time before we break out into the mainstream. You have a lot more confidence in our show than I do, Michael, and I'm the one who produces it. I'm not sure that I want to break out into the mainstream, though. That's, like, way more pressure. Then people, like, scrutinize you a lot more. Yeah. Much like, like Steve Zissou was scrutinized. And then we'd have to have standards. Can you imagine? Yeah. Ugh. I don't know how shows like the weekly planet um continue at like such a breakneck speed yeah like we don't care kind of oh, yeah, the guy's probably just exhausted right yeah i need, I need more existential munchies i'm almost coming back to reality you know reminds me of this uh speech from Coach Carter, I think it is. Who's that? It was a movie. Oh. Anyway, the speech was something like, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And there's more to it than that. But that's the one, that's the part that always st like, sticks with me. I can kind of get like, behind that, yeah. You're not really f afraid of failure. You're afraid of success. Yeah, and then if you do succeed now, it's a whole bunch of responsibility to deal with. Yeah. People will expect more of you. Mm-hmm. Higher standard of life. It's a good way to sign off our existential munchies segment, I think. Okay. We'll close up that bag. Man, that bag is going to last us freaking forever if we keep stopping so soon. <laughs> All right. That's it. We'll keep we'll keep the existential munchies going for a little while longer, I guess. Cool. I'm not gonna actually have to put in bloopers anymore. I'll just put in this. <laughs> just put in the existential munchies. It's like our after the credits. Yeah. You're still recording, right? Yes, I am. Because I just talk about existential. I literally just had this sinking feeling as I like came back to reality. Now I have to deal with the rest of my life. It's like doing this podcast is actually like a zen thing where you just kind of like forget about life. I, I really think everything. it's the headphones because it puts you almost into this like. In this other world. Yeah, because yeah. you have them off. It's just the world. You put them on. All you can hear is this yeah. and us and what the microphone can hear. Mm. The world is only what the microphone knows. And that's it. <laughs> Do a little circle around the is, microphone. Is this bit going to be in here? I don't know, now that you mention it. <laughs> My headphones are off, so yeah, I'm leaving. Okay. 